We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, maybe you've heard this or maybe you think this. You know, the Bible is so old, how could it possibly be relevant to 2021? And that's what we're talking about this week on Perry and Shauna Mornings. We have Steve Norman with us. He works with Winning at Home. He is a pastor, an award-winning author, a speaker, and a coach. Loves communicating God's Word and showing how it's relevant. And he loves helping us find our purpose and calling in life. Yeah, and we are. T- thank you for joining us this morning, Steve. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we love having you in. And I thought about you right away when we talked about having this conversation about the relevance of Scripture, because here we have this book that is historical and factual, and there's a lot that we can learn from reading about Jesus's time on earth and who he was and what he did. But how is Scripture today relevant to how we live our lives? Is it? Is Scripture relevant to the world that we live in today? Absolutely. I, I Every book of scripture was written to real life people in real life situations in real moments of history in real points in the planet and god wants us to listen in on those conversations to say god what are, what are the themes what are the threads what are the pictures what are the images what is your heartbeat uh, for me and for the world that i need to capture to understand what my next step or what my next kind of discernible action is in this particular moment yeah and scripture reveals you know not just who reveals God and who God is. We've had conversations this week too about how scripture reveals who he is, who we are, all those elements combined that help to give us direction for what's next. Yeah, one of the pastors that I used to work with, he goes, it's really important for us to read scripture. He goes, it's equally important for us to allow scripture to read us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have found that many times reading the scriptures is challenging because it reveals themes in my heart that I haven't been aware of or themes that I would really rather not address. Yeah. So even recently I was just struggling with a forgiveness issue in my life and God called to mind the story in 1 Samuel 20, 24, Hmm. where Saul is hunting down David. Like David has been a loyal soldier. He's been a son-in-law. He's had Saul's back at every turn. Saul's insecure. He feels threatened by David's success. And he decides that David, the only solution to Saul's problem is for David to die. Hmm. So he hunts him down into this oasis, this desert oasis in the mountains of En Gedi. And David and his men are are literally trapped in the back of this mountain pass. There's no exit for them. So they end up in a cave. And David knows that this is a really powerful opportunity for him to, to fight back. Mm-hmm. And so if you're familiar with the story, Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. David's friends say, like, this is your moment. Like, mm-hmm. you, if you kill this guy, your entire life will change. And David is conscience-stricken after it says that he cuts off a corner of David's robe. Saul leaves the cave. David holds up the corner and he goes, my king and my father, he goes, I just, I need to let you know that I I had an opportunity Mm -hmm. to lash out in revenge, but the Lord wouldn't let me. And then, and then he says, may the Lord be judged between you and me, but I will not harm you. Mm And it struck me because I was in a moment in my life where I've been processing some deep hurt that had been inflicted by others against both me and my family. And Mm. the the effects of that had lasted for years. Mm. Mm. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have like moments where I turn off my brain, like mowing the lawn or I'm in the shower, like these revenge fantasies popping in. And I was like, Lord, I don't want those. But the hurt is very real. And I felt like the lesson for me in the David story was like, just because I can harm somebody... Mm 
doesn't mean that I should. And I felt like the principle in that story for me is sometimes spiritual success is measured by the thing we refuse to do. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And so David said, I, but, but here's what I love about David. David didn't minimize the wrong that Saul was doing to him. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me mm-hmm. and may the Lord avenge the wrongs mm-hmm. you have done to mm-hmm. me. So he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't whitewash it. He's like, these hurts have been real, but I'm going to put them in God's hands rather than take them into mine. That's so good. And so for me, it wasn't like I went running through scriptures saying like, how should I deal with my feelings of anger today? But when we ingest scripture over time, the Holy Spirit is able to pull from that memory file to say, hey, Steve, you've read this passage before. You didn't think about this then. I need you to think about this now. Yeah, that is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring to mind that which Jesus has said. Jesus said that himself, right? The Holy Spirit will bring to mind what I have said. Right. And that's why I think it's so important for us to have a pattern of regular scripture Mm -hmm. reading, recall, meditation, memory, whatever it is. So we don't just come to the scripture like a fire alarm, like, oh, there's an emergency. I got to pull the thing. Right. It's, oh, there's, this is a well of truth. Mm -hmm. I will drink from it daily. And on the days that I'm thirsty... I know where to go. So this issue of forgiving others, you know, is such a human experience. And somebody's listening right now and they're, they're resonating with this because they can't let go. Yeah. They can't forgive. They just, they don't know how. And so just encourage that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just encourage that no, person. I, yeah, I think it's so important because one of my favorite stories in the scripture is the story where Jesus is on the cross and goes, forgive them, Father, because they don't even know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes in my judgment of other people, I like to think, well, of course they knew what they were doing. Like in my mind, I'm like, that person was so evil that they rolled out of bed that day and they're like, I'm going to stick it to Steve. Or forgiveness, me, forgiveness can't happen unless they apologize for what they did. Right. You know, we feel like I am owed that. Right. And that 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 line for Jesus, forgive them, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. He is speaking to so many different layers of people mm-hmm. who are physically hurting him in that moment. But I think about the Roman soldiers that Jesus was praying forgiveness over. The only language that they knew was violence. They got paid to kill people every single day. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't they didn't flinch. They didn't have a hesitation. They those those soldiers, they were just going to the office. Like right. crucifixion was part of their job description. So for them it wasn't it wasn't personal. A lot of, yeah. they never didn't know Jesus. They'd never heard of Jesus. They were just crucifying another criminal. And so for Jesus to say, Forgive them, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. And that's been such a gift to me to be able to say, like, Lord, the harm that other people have done to me has come out of their own brokenness. And some people have been so hurt or so overwhelmed or so wounded that they only know rage or they only know hostility or they only know gossip. Like those are the only toolkits that they have to survive. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be a very real recipient on the receiving end of that dysfunction. And I need to be able to say like, Lord, I'm struggling to forgive them. Will you forgive them? And then as you are forgiving them, will you invite me into that forgiveness as well? And I think the key, you know, for me, and I love what you're saying, the key for me is is realizing that I've been forgiven by Jesus. Yeah. And because he's forgiven me, that gives me the inspiration, the, the power, the motivation to choose to forgive others. Yeah. You know, most importantly... You know, when you talk about the relevance of, of the Word of God, the Bible tells us with 
crystal clarity, three things. Talk about those three things. Yeah, I I think the three kind of grounding principles that I try to keep in mind when I come to the scriptures is the scriptures exist to tell us who God is. The scriptures exist to tell us who we are. And then the scriptures exist to tell us how God calls us to faithfulness in the unique cultural moment that we're in. Mm. So I was reading a great book by Dan Kimball called How Not to Read the Bible. And he said the Torah, we have to remember that the Torah was written by Moses. Mm -hmm. So there was all sorts, there are lots, hundreds of years of human history before we finally got to the Exodus, where Mm -hmm. Moses kind of pops on the scene and calls people out of Egypt. And he goes, the reason that the Torah was written is so that people who had grown up in slavery, surrounded by pagan imagery and uh, Egyptian worship of false gods, could understand who the one true God is and understand their identity as the people of God in that. So it was, I had just, I had, sometimes I forget, like I thought that God created the world and then Moses is kind of there with a notebook as creation is happening in real time. (laughs) And and I forget that all of that first, the first chunk of scripture was written for people who were, um, had just come out of slavery. Mm -hmm. They were either a first generation or a second generation out of slavery. They had never seen a Bible. They had never gone to a synagogue or a version of a church. They'd never gone to a place of worship. So they're starting from scratch. And Moses has to say, this is who the one true God is. Yeah. And this is who you are as his people. Mm, yeah. yeah, it tells us that we're image bearers of that one true God. So that's why God shows us who he is. Right, right. So Genesis, Exodus, Numbers are kind of the story of the Exodus. And then books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy is, okay, now that you've been called out of slavery, here is exactly how you should live. And some people are like, they get they get lost in the rules. Well, the reason that there were so many specific rules is because they had no moral compass. They had zero grid at all. So Moses is building a biblical society from the ground up. And so it's just so important for us to say that backdrop to be able to say that from the very beginning, Moses is saying, this is who the one true God is. And as his people, this is how you are to live, believe, and act. Is that the who we are part? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what Moses is doing, he's saying, in light of who God is, mm-hmm. this is who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, it's really important for us individually to know who we are. So when we read the story of Jesus, especially in Matthew, when Jesus goes, um, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, there's that voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love uh, and I delight in him. From the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his identity is affirmed as a son of God. And then what does he do? He goes into the desert. And what does the enemy say? The enemy says, are you sure you're the son of God? Mm -hmm. Because if you're the son of God, you should do this. If you're the son of God, you should do this. If you're the son of God, you should do this. The enemy's planting seeds of doubt about Jesus' Mm -hmm. identity in Jesus' mind. And then we see it again in the garden before Jesus is crucified. The enemy is trying to get inside of his brain again, saying like, are you sure you have to go to the cross? Maybe mm-hmm. there's another way around. Maybe mm-hmm. there's maybe there's an escape hatch somewhere. And then even as Jesus is on the cross, the enemy is speaking through the crowd saying, if you're the son of God, come down and save yourself. Yeah, constant attack of identity. And so I believe that we as believers, both individually and collectively, are having our identity undercut all of the time mm-hmm. to be able to say, oh, hey, 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 are you sure God's coming through for you or do you need to meet this need on your own? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody just said that sin is disordered loves. And it, it means that we, we, try to, we try to meet our legitimate needs through illegitimate means because we don't trust God to do it for us. And because we have trusted in Jesus, we are his beloved children. That, that's what you're saying. And, and that's the identity we need to live into. Real quick, how does the, the word of God call us to faithfulness wherever we are? 
Yeah, I, I love it that when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he was speaking in real time about real events. They were asking him very serious questions about divorce and about taxes and about how they should handle political power. And I believe that Jesus cares about those questions in our lives as well. And it's important for us to say, okay, based on what the themes and the threads of Scripture are, what, is a, what does obedience look like in this moment? And sometimes mm-hmm. the Scripture doesn't answer specific questions, but if we can say, okay, what is the character of God all throughout history and how does that match up against the situation? And then what does it mean to live as the people of God? And sometimes I think when we start with those God's character, my identity and current cultural moment, we can kind of triangulate what a response that looks faithful and holy might be. And that's all right in front of us in, you know, ink and paper. But at the same time that we're reading the word of God, we're encountering the person of God and he speaks in his word to us to today. Steve, in order to apply the Bible well, according to a guy named Steve Norman, (laughs) (laughs) is that we got to read it consistently. You know, we got to have a time every day. We got to read it in community with other believers. We've got to read it for activity. In other words, read it, understand it, then do. And then we've got to read it in humility. Lord, I don't know better than you. You know better than me. But let's dive into the reading it for consistency part. Absolutely. I I think Tim Keller once said that if you come to the scriptures just completely blank, not knowing anything, you're not going to get insight right away. He goes, but if you read the scriptures consistently Mm. for 90 days, you'll start to build a foundation of truth that you can pull on when you get stuck. Okay. Anytime you quote Tim Keller here. You are among friends. (laughs) We're big fans of Tim Keller. That's so good. But what I love, he goes, he goes, it takes a time to build a foundation of wisdom. Just like if you're exercising, if you haven't exercised at all, if you're going kind of couch to 5K, your body takes some time to build up lung capacity to give you that endurance. And I think that spiritually wisdom Mm -hmm. does the same thing. You don't go from foolish to wisdom like flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. You go from darkness to light as in taking light on a regular basis. So somebody had just told me, um, have a systematic plan for how you read through scripture. So for me personally, I read a chapter of the Old Testament, a chapter of the wisdom literatures, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, that whole area. And then I read a chapter of the New Testament every day and I read them in sequence. So right now I'm in Genesis, I'm in Matthew, and I'm in Psalms. Do you have a reading plan that somebody else put together nope. or do you just kind of keep going? In that, that that, that's just yeah, me. So just because like because I started them all on the same day, I'm on Genesis 27, Psalm 27, and Matthew 27 today. So go. I'm just Woo. like 27 days into this nice. experiment. And what it does is it forces me to read scriptures that I probably wouldn't choose to right. read. And I think that sometimes we do the point and flip, like mm-hmm. we just kind of go for random insight or we're drawn to familiar verses that we like like and know and love. I haven't heard a sermon on the book of Amos Mm. or Obadiah. I I don't know ever, but those books are in there for, they're there for us. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, don't come to think that I'm abolishing the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Well, if I don't know what the law and prophets say, Mm -hmm. I don't have the backdrop that all of Jesus' listeners had for his entire ministry. So, Steve, have you ever had a time when you're you're in your reading plan and you're reading it and it perfectly applied to a situation that was going on? I do. Thanks for asking. I was traveling to Minneapolis where a lot of the racial um, just just grief and distress happened in the middle of COVID of last, last summer. Mm-hmm. And 
I was traveling to a church in Minneapolis and I was kind of thinking about the the George Floyd episode and the and right. the and the crisis that our country is having around the conversation about race and it just so happened that a part of the reading that I was in was in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1 says during the reign of David there was a famine for 3 successive years so David sought the face of the Lord and the Lord said is it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house it is because he put the Gibeonites to death mm. And so mm-hmm. David, as a national leader, was facing a national crisis of famine. And what I love is David's first thought as a leader wasn't like, how do I buy food? His first thought as a leader is like, Lord, will you show me what's underneath this crisis? Mm-hmm. And the Lord says, I'm, I'm disciplining the nation because of an act of injustice that happened in the reign before you. Mm-hmm. And I know that some of us, the, the, the debate about injustice now is like, well, hey, that, those sins were generations old. That's not my fault. That's not my responsibility. Other people should get over that. But in this passage, mm-hmm. God said to David, he goes, this isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Saul's dead. He's not around to fix the problem that he caused. Mm-hmm. He goes, and I'm calling you to lead the nation of Israel to atone for a sin that was committed against an entire group of people. Mm. And we don't, I don't have time to get into the whole story, but David's solution was he goes to the Gibeonites and he says, what do you need in order for me to make this right? So the victims of that injustice, they got to vote and how the country was supposed to respond to the wrong that had been done to their ancestors. Wow. And their request was very, very graphic. They wanted seven of Saul's sons to be publicly executed in order to make right. And that's a different conversation for another day. But it was it was a it was a graphic solution mm-hmm. to a very real problem. But mm-hmm. what I love about the Gibeonites is they honored the scriptures. They didn't say eye for an eye. They didn't say we want Saul's entire line to be wiped out. Mm. They said, we want a symbolic number of Saul's descendants to be executed so that we can have justice. And they asked for seven, the biblical number of perfection, but Mm -hmm. they didn't. But both David was able to keep his promise to Jonathan, which Mm -hmm. was to let his descendants live. Mm -hmm. But he was also able to honor the request of the Gibeonites, which was justice for their massacred ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I can, as I'm, so I'm flying to Minneapolis, the epicenter of this conversation, and and I'm sitting in the Grand Rapids airport reading this passage. Mm-hmm. And when I went to George Floyd Square before my ride home, I just felt like it was important for me, for me to visit that site. And as I knelt on the asphalt, I felt like God was saying, "Steve, I care about people who have been affected by injustice, and I want to lead leaders towards atonement and resolution." And, you know, I can just be honest about this. You know, we, as our country has been unjust toward the Native Americans, that's in our history. Right. And we have been unjust toward African Americans. And I personally, I'm speaking for me, I want to have a sensitivity to their story, to the Native American story and to the African American story. I want to have compassion toward that story. I don't want to be the guy that says, hey, that happened a long time ago, get over it. Right. And what I love about this passage is when David went to the victims, he didn't have a solution in mind. He didn't say like, I know how I'm going to fix this and Mm -hmm. I just need you guys to kind of sign. He goes, will you tell me your story? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I hear your heartache? Mm -hmm. And then can we together decide a way forward? And that's that's a great application, you know, for me. It's like if I have an... African-American friend or I have a Native American friend, tell me your story. Right. How, how has, you know, the history of America affected you personally? Yeah. That'd be a great application for me at least. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. Uh, the one line that just coming, come, coming back to me after I read this passage was the v- victims get a vote. Mm-hmm. And if you have been the victim of a trauma 
and somebody who in a position of authority says, how can we make this right? You get to say, almost like David said before God and the Saul who was traumatizing him, Lord, will you avenge the wrongs that have been done to me? Mm-hmm. We can disagree about what resolution looks like, but we can't disagree about the fact that God cares about resolution. Mm-hmm. And God is empowering leaders, political and spiritual leaders, with those solutions if only they would start where David started, which is seeking the face of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So here's the question. Is it possible that... <laughs> That it was coincidence that you happened to open up the Word of God, read your regular reading, come across a scripture out of all the books of the Bible, a book that was written thousands of years ago, and come across a story that would speak to your heart to the cultural moment of the day that you were in. I mean, that's got to be the hand of God. That has to be God. It's God in his wisdom and his mercy. And one theologian once said, he goes, we should, we should live our lives with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Like a That's lot of people good. don't read newspaper anymore, but it's to be able to say like, God, will you help me be, have a pulse on what is happening in my world? And will you allow me to view that through the lens of scripture, not through the lens of my personal ideological preferences, mm-hmm. but through your version of what is true? Yeah. So now it's the, let's see, it's the iPhone in one hand <laughs> and the Bible in the other. And the truth is... Well, actually, it's the iPhone in one hand and the iPhone in one hand. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And you're just, you're just kind of switching back and forth between apps at that point. Let's talk about reading for activity, that it's not just about gaining the head knowledge, but there's actually a responsibility on our part to take what we're learning and to implement it into our daily lives. Absolutely. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the great commission to his followers. He goes, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And he goes, he goes, and I want you to teach them to obey. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't just, right. he doesn't just say, teach them my commands. He goes, teach them to obey my commands and knowing the commands and carrying out the commands are two very distinct activities. And I think most of us are really good at learning the commands. There are many of us who have the commands memorized upside down and backwards. Yeah. Obeying the commands are two different stories. And I often, I say, you could give me like four verses and I could spend the rest of my life trying to obey those verses. And I think that sometimes when I don't want to obey, I'm like, well, I want to learn new verses. And God <laughs> goes, no, I want you to do the verses yeah. that I've already revealed to you. So even in my own life, I told you I've been reading through the book of Genesis. There's this interesting passage that I came across in chapter 26, verse 19. It said, Isaac's servants dug a well in the valley and discovered a fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, that water's ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one as well. And so he named it Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. And he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And it's always helpful for me to read the footnotes. And the footnotes in my Bible, I've got an NIV, say that Essek, the well that they named, means dispute. Sitna, the other well that they named, means opposition. And Rehoboth, the last well that they landed on, means room. And I think that sometimes I just my my personality and the way that I've been raised said like if there's if you're in a fight, you fight to win that fight. Like you don't mm-hmm. let people push you around. You outflank them, you outdebate them, you out theologize them, and you defeat them. But the principle that I learned here with uh, Isaac Shepherds is they had a fight over water and they said, you know what, it's not worth it. Hmm. And they walked away. Hmm. And then they had a fight over the next one. And they said, you know what? We don't want to be known for being the combative shepherds in this town. We'll walk away. And then God gave them another well. And the last well that they named, they called it room. And it says, now we have space to flourish. Hmm. Hmm. 
And I felt like in that, God was giving me an invitation in some of the conflicts in my own life to be able to say, like, Steve, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be somebody who fights or do you want to be somebody who flourishes? Mm -hmm. Because you can't be both. Mm. That's so good. And there are some, I think that just in the very charged rhetoric of our day, we think that we have to win every battle that we're in. And Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes God in his wisdom says, no, some battles you can concede and walk away so that you can care about the things that I care about and not get stuck in the weeds about this fight that ultimately doesn't matter. So what did obedience look like for you? I, and, and that particular day, I was having like a difference of opinion with with um, a person that I was working on a project with. And I just felt like I was saying like, Steve, it doesn't matter. Mm. Like what matters is for the project to win, not for your version of this one tiny detail to be fulfilled. Kind of. <laughs> I was having coffee with a guy on, on Saturday and we were just talking about, you know, different kinds of convictions that we have about God's word. And I just yeah. said, man, there are so many hills that we could die on. Yeah. But I try to have as few, I try to have as the, the least amount of hills to die on as possible. Yeah. You know, just, I, there, there are only a few things that are worth dying for. It's so good to hear you say that, Perry. I remember when I was a student minister, there was a, a, a school, a Christian school that I worked with, and they were having a conflict over what kind of student should be elected student body president. And the church that owned the school got involved, and they're having a fight with the chaplain saying, you can't have this one student do it for these different reasons. And he said, this is a hill that I will die on. The pastor said this. And the school chaplain said to him, he goes, then you need to find a new hill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. this isn't this isn't this isn't central to the gospel. Right. And so for us, I think when we talked about like who is God and what is God about, God is about reaching the nations. And if this decision doesn't allow us to live in holiness and reach lost people, let's do something mm. else. That's yeah. so good. So the word of God is meant not just to be known and understood, but to be obeyed. So as you dive in, as you read scripture, ask yourself this question or ask God the question, what do you want me to do about it? Let's dive into this conversation about encountering the Word of God with humility and why that's important for applying God's Word. Yeah. When I had a chance to visit the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, there's a very small door. So in order for you to actually get into the place where Jesus is born, you have to like crouch all the way down. And somebody said they created it that way because they wanted people to humble themselves before the Savior. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to come into this space, we want you to be lowly. And I figured that Every single time I come to the scripture, I want to humble myself mm-hmm. and say, God, I'm choosing to put myself under your authority. And if there's something that I read in this passage that makes me uncomfortable, I will submit to what you say mm-hmm. and not inflict what I want. I'm not going to read my agenda into these pages. Sure. I'm going to receive this as a truth, as a gift. The French philosopher Voltaire said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And ever since God, man has been returning the favor. Mm-hmm. And I think that we like to say, like, I know what I want the scriptures to say, so Mm -hmm. I will make them say that. Um, But humility requires me to say, like, Lord, whatever it is that you want, you you want. So we think about COVID and one of the more controversial aspects of that is is getting vaccinated. And I know a lot of different people have strong opinions on both sides of the issue. I don't believe that it's a sin issue to get it or to not get it. Yes. But when our family was struggling with it, we looked at we looked at the writings of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, I have rights as an apostle. In fact, you can hear him say like with a lot of energy on a couple different fronts, he's like, don't I have the right to take a believing wife and don't I have a right to have my entire salary supported by the church? And don't I have the right for this and a right for this? And Paul's very clear about what he is technically entitled to mm-hmm. as an apostle. And then he goes, he goes, but I'll throw it all away 
He goes, I'm not going to use any of those rights because my commitment to the gospel always trumps my personal preferences. Mm. And so Paul goes, I will, I will, I'll surrender it all. He's got that one passage where he says, like, I get to eat meat, but if get, eating meat causes Shauna to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Mm. And he goes, he always puts people over his private personal preferences. And so for us as a family, like one of my life verses is Jeremiah one five. It says, before you were born, I set you apart as a prophet for the nations. Mm. And I so appreciate your heart for, for missions. And I just, because I want to be able to go wherever it is that God would have me go at any moment's notice, like getting, getting vaccinated was an easy decision for me because I said there were concerns that I had about it for sure. Like there were, I was a little bit, a little bit nervous, but my daughter and I got it on the same day. And part of what we were saying together is we want to, we want to be able to cross any boundary to get to where Jesus is calling us to go. And if making this small sacrifice or taking this one unknown risk opens doors for us, Mm -hmm. then we're going to do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, man, you're, you're a brother from a different mother because I feel, (laughs) I feel the same way, but Let's not divide over the vaccine. No, That's the point. No. All right, Steve, let's talk about, you know, applying the word in the context of community with other believers, how being with other believers, reading the Bible with other believers helps us apply the word. Yeah, I think there's a great model for this, even in the life of Jesus. We read in the Gospels that when Jesus was 12, he went to the temple complex and his parents forgot that he was there. or They left without him. They thought he was traveling with another family. And Jesus stayed behind to do what? To discuss the scriptures mm-hmm. with with the scribes and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. So back in the day, having a copy of the scriptures was very hard to come by. Scrolls, the, the materials and the authorship were very difficult to pull together. So many times a, a village or a synagogue only had one set of scrolls. So people read them out loud, they read them together, and they read them for the purpose of dialogue and interaction and discussions and application. And every, you know, save maybe Philemon and a couple letters to Timothy and all of the letters in the, all of the books in the scripture were written to groups of people mm-hmm. and they heard them as a group and then they figured out how to apply them as a group. And I think it's so important for us. Like we talked about humility. One of the ways that we make sure that we're not imposing our own kind of personal grid on the scripture is reading it with other people. Yeah. And reading it in other people allows us the opportunity to, you know, to show up with questions too. And if there are things about the scriptures that we don't understand that we can gain un- insights from one another, bring questions forward, not, in a, in a context where you're supposed to have all the answers, but where you get to grow and learn. So I have a group of people, three women that I meet with once a week, and we'll read the same scripture where we're finding ourselves fastly getting through the New Testament. So we've yeah. been taking them one at a time. We're in Titus right now. But we are um, we read the scriptures on our own, but come together once a week and then just have conversations about what we read. And one of the joys of doing that is that different things will stand out to different one of us as we go through the week. And so when we come together to discuss it, we have the advantage of not just gaining insights that we gained, but it's almost kind of like taking a diamond and turning it. Different people grab different things and they share what stood out to them from the scripture. And we get to learn from what captured their heart as well as what captured ours. I love it that Paul said one of the goals of proclaiming truth to other people is to correct, rebuke, and encourage and when we read the group, when we read scriptures as a group, we say like, oh, here's where we're con- we've been confused mm-hmm. and scripture gives us clarity. Or here's where we've been rebellious mm-hmm. and scripture is giving us a rebuke. And here's where we've been um, troubled 
And the scripture wants to encourage us. And I think that there's, when we read it together, all that gets to come out in different layers, like you said, that w- wouldn't often happen when we're on our own. The most powerful community, I think, is the family. Yeah. And I remember growing up, my parents would constantly be singing. My dad would start singing or my mom would start singing and the other would join in and they were singing scripture, scripture choruses. Yeah. And that was just going into my heart. And I remember one time I was just really discouraged because yeah, I did a lot of things wrong as a teenager for sure. But one thing that I just, I didn't want to get into the party scene and I felt like that's the way I can express my, my faith in Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, everybody else was, a lot of others were into the party scene and were kind of, I would, I, I would get some pushback on that. Yeah. And I remember my dad saying to me when he, he quoted a passage, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So good. Still remember that. Yeah. You know, and it did two things. It encouraged me, but it also called me to more because I wasn't living into my faith as much as, as much as I wanted to. Yeah. So, so the community, the family. Absolutely. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs is Proverbs eleven three. It says, the integrity of the upright will guide them. It's so important for us to be able to say, like, who has God called us to be? And is this decision in line with that, with that kind of person or that kind of family or that group? Mm-hmm. Steve Norman is with us this morning. He's a pastor, award-winning author, speaker, and coach who loves to communicate the truth of God's word as well as give practical life applications. And that's the conversation that we're having today about how practical and how um, applicable the word of God is to life. But here's where it gets tricky. So, you know, do I move? Do I not move? Do I buy this house? Do I buy that house? Do I buy a house? Do I move into a condo? Do I rent? <laughs> do, you know, I mean, there's questions like that, right? Dating questions. Do I marry? Do I not marry? Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? When it comes to those kinds of life decisions, where does the application of scripture, how does that apply? I think it's so important to come down to the the fundamental baseline. And I love where Jesus says in Matthew 22, where a lot of people are saying like, hey, Jesus, what are the most important things? And Jesus goes, love the Lord your God with mm. all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. He goes, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I, one of the, that, when we, I think that's a really critical grid for us to use when we're making any decision. Does this decision lead me into a deeper love of God mm. and into a deeper love of other? And is there anything about this situation that could lead me towards, in in the very light circumstances, would it lead me towards confusion or disorientation? Would it would it lead me away from godly community that helps me affirm my values and make wise choices? And, it, and, and the worst case scenario is like, would this lead me towards self-harm or would this lead me towards harming others down, down the road? So... A friend of mine wrote a book called Called, and he goes, a lot of the calling questions that we're asking are, he calls them second order questions. Hmm. He goes, the first order question is, who has Jesus called me to be? Whatever car I drive, whatever house I live in, whoever I marry, and whatever country I reside in. Like, those are first order questions. And I think it's so important for you to say, Shauna, just like you said before, some of those things are secondary, and it's really important that we don't allow them to cloud the primary issues, to be able to say, as long as I'm a person, as as long as I'm a person who's growing in grace, 
um, I could go to any one of three different colleges as yeah. long as I'm committed to finding a community there that helps me pursue Jesus with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the freedom too, and you mentioned off the air, just we feel pressure in these decisions to like, there's one that's God's will and there's one that's not, right. you know, and like they're irreversible. Right. Right. And there's a one verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I think that sometimes I get I get in the weeds in some of these conversations because I think that the circumstances will give me delight. Mm. If I make the right purchase and I make the right house, then then everything will fall to order. And, and God's like, no, Steve, delight yourself in me mm. oh, and everything so else sorts out. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter six. He goes, seek first the kingdom. And it's righteousness and all of the Mm. other things fall into place. And I think that sometimes we're asking good questions, but we have them in the wrong order. And the first question seemed to be to say like, Lord, will you lead me into deeper delight of you? Mm. And will you lead me into a richer understanding of the kingdom? We want to do the will of God. You want to do what's right and what's good. And yet, again, like Perry said, no chapter and verse. So how do we know as Christ followers when or if it's appropriate to take legal action? It's a great question. And I think there's a lot of nuance into that. I love the verse that Perry shared before that says, when our ways are pleasing to the Lord, um, God allows even our enemies to be at peace with us. So for me, my first encouragement is always to say, what what is... What tools is God giving you to win favor with Mm. the people who are in positions of authority? Um, Paul is also crystal clear. He goes, pray for those who are in authority. And so I think it's it's so critical for us to be able to say, hey, how how do we run parallel tracks where we're advocating for what we think that God has called us to do? And at the same time, treating the people that we feel are who are actively opposing us with um, with grace and kindness and dignity. I remember when I was in high school, we were leading a Bible study and our school told us, they said, um, you cannot lead this Bible study anymore. This was 1990. The Supreme Court had not yet ruled that students could run student yet prayer groups. And the assistant principal got combative with us as students in his office. He's like, you can sue us, but you'll lose. And I remember going back to my parents saying like, wow, this really feels like a fundamental violation of our rights. What is the right, what is the right thing to do? And we felt like at that time, God giving us favor in our relationships was more important than mm-hmm. us winning a legal ruling. Mm-hmm. And we knew that at that point, we're because in every decision that we make, there's a trade-off. Right. And if we have to, if we have to trade off favor and respect and goodwill for getting what we want in the name of a God who's supposed to love the people that we don't like, did, what did we get? Right. Mm. And so I think that especially if you're trying to set up a ministry in a township where those people have the ability. So like, let's say that you win the house and you get the ruling that you want, but you have an antagonistic relationship with those people. Um, as long as you're in that zip code, you will be dealing with that, those people for the duration of your life and ministry and their lives and ministry. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to speak as best I can on behalf of this question. These yeah. People who are asking this question. Yeah. Man, these, these adults with disabilities. Yeah. Man, they, they need, they need help. Sure. They need to be given life. Yep. I mean, shouldn't we, should we think more about them? than the fallout of the officials. Yep. Yeah. And I think, again, I I love the question that you're asking here, Perry, and it's really important for us to be able to say like, Lord, is there a third, is there a third way? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. because somebody, people like to back Jesus into a corner all the time. They're like, Hey, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus is like, Hey, you're thinking about this wrong. Mm -hmm. Jesus always elevated a conversation Mm -hmm. beyond what the tools that the culture, the only tools that the culture could identify. Mm -hmm. So even with the temple tax, Jesus is like, Hey, somebody's like, Hey, do we have to pay the temple tax? And Jesus, 
is like, hey, does the father, does the son of the king have to pay taxes to the king? And people are like, of course not. And Jesus goes, then you don't either. Hey, guess what? Go catch this fish. In the mouth of the fish, you're going to find the tax for both of us. Mm. So the question is like, can God... Can God provide third ways? Mm. Like, can God soften the hearts of hard-hearted rulers? Of course he does. We read that in Scripture all the time. Does God answer specific prayers for people who are getting ready to go into a battle of sorts? David inquired of the Lord. We heard about that in 2 Samuel 21. But whenever David fought other battles, he would say, like, Lord, should I fight this people? Yes or no? Right. And then God gave him a clear direction. And then he would even say, like, what way should I fight this people? And the Lord would say, you should attack them from the left. And it's like, does does God care about the minutia of our lives? Yes or no? Well, of course he does. Right. And rather than jumping straight to these are the tools that I understand, have we stopped to be able to say, like, Lord, should I do this? Yes or no? And how should I do this? And are we nurturing relationship with him in such a way that when he speaks and he answers that question, we know it's him. Right. Right. And so I think the irony for us was uh, after after we had graduated from high school, the Supreme Court ruled in the favor of students. Mm. And so now I have this great pleasure to be able to say like, okay, if you have a prayer group, how do you have that prayer group? And we had, when I was a church planner, we had a fight with the city. We wanted to be in the city center. The church, the city knew that if we were at the intersection that we wanted to be at, they would lose tax revenue. And it was a super popular area, but we just kept saying like, Lord, we know you've called us to be here. What do you want us to do? And Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, what happened was, is we didn't have to fight a zoning battle with them because there was a church that's congregation was shrinking. We needed a building. They needed a congregation. We were able to merge with them and a building that would have cost us $5 million. We were able to get into for a million. So sometimes it's just patience. Hmm. People say like, Lord, you have an answer that we haven't seen. Will you give us clarity? It's that third way. Once again, God is the God of the third way. Yeah. You're such a wise Jedi. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) it's because I have good friends like you guys. Yeah. So, so back to this question, you know, I'm just thinking a couple things come to mind. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Yes. That's the Bible. Yes. So are are we on this issue with the township and the adult home? Are we seeking counsel from a lot of sources who are yep. objective, who are godly, who are mature? And then I'm just thinking, man, fasting and praying. Absolutely. You know, to get, get my heart in the right posture. Yeah. And I just see a genuine question about yep. what we should do. And they've also asked for prayer. And I just think that we should pray for them mm-hmm. about this decision and, and finding perhaps that third way. I love that. And what I love about the story of Esther is that she fasted and prayed for three days mm-hmm. with with her friends. And they said, Lord, you know, the, the stakes were really, really high for them. And for this ministry, if God's called you to care for people who have cognitive challenges, that's important too. And God, God loves to answer our prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was going to be meeting with a guy who really struggles and I know the enemy is part of his struggle. And I got up in the morning and the passage that came to mind was, you know, these can only come out through fasting and praying. Absolutely. And so I I've, I fasted that morning and that night I met with this guy and Jesus, <laughs> the living Jesus showed up Praise in God. such a powerful way. It's amazing. And God just did what I couldn't do. It's great. And thank you for doing that with him and for him, Perry. And I love the, the fact that Paul reminds us in Ephesians, like our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against townships. Our battle is not against school boards. Our battle is not against political parties. Our battle is against the powers and the principalities of the air. And Jesus has already declared victory over every last one of them. Mm-hmm. And so all we have to say is like, all right, Lord, 
you've you've defeated every foe that stands against you. Will you show me how to walk with you as you care about this town, these people, and these issues? So, Father, we just lift up this situation to you right now with the, um, this home and the obstacles that are keeping it from being built. And, Lord, we pray that you would reveal your will to those who are making decisions right now, not only to those who are praying and seeking your will, but that you would actually reveal your will to those who are the decision makers, who are the obstacle to this moving forward. And we pray for provision for um, the people who are in need of a home, the adults who are in need of a home. And Lord, that you would show us the third way, that you would reveal your third way, and that we would then have the the courage, the grace, and the strength to obey what you have said in Jesus' name. We've been talking this morning about how to tap into the power of God's word, and it's been a uh, a blast to have our buddy Steve Norman with us, a pastor, author, speaker, a coach, just loves Jesus and loves the world that he's created. And we're talking about the relevancy of Scripture today. And I've got a question for you in regards to interpreting Scripture, right? Sure. So, And this is about personal conviction. It's not about those, you know, don't murder. Like that's all, that's for all of us. Right. We don't have to interpret that one and figure out if that's personal and how we're supposed to apply it. Right. Just don't. Yeah. Um, but when you have a personal conviction that you believe to be from God, yes. But it's not directly scriptural yeah. related. Had it, and it's not just for everyone. Yep. It's for you. Yep. Um. Yeah. Let's just talk about what do you do with that. I- I think that one of the great passages is Romans 14 that says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That was a controversial mm-hmm. issue because all food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes anyone to stumble. And he goes, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So if God has given you conviction, it's okay for you to hold it close to your heart. Mm -hmm. And if God has not given that conviction to others, it's not our job to be the conviction police and make other people align with where we are. But if God has given you an issue of conscience, Mm -hmm. don't, don't violate that because for you to violate it, it's, it's sin. It's sin for you, not for the whole world. Right. It's for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.